Today's scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning. Have you ever noticed how so much of how you experience a situation depends on who is with you? Like, for example, a couple of weeks ago while we were visiting my family outside of Chicago, Mifeng and I had a great night out with just the two of us. It was nice outside, and so we wandered around the town a little bit, trying to find a place with some outdoor seating, a good ambiance, and some good food. And eventually, we settled on this Mexican restaurant. And the food was fine, not the best Mexican food I've ever had, but it wasn't the food that made that night so enjoyable. I could have gone to the best restaurant around, but if I went by myself or with somebody else, it wouldn't have been nearly as enjoyable as that meal that I shared with Mifeng. Because what made that night such a fun time was being with her, being in her presence. So much of the quality of an experience depends on in whose presence you are. A meal is so much sweeter when it's shared with someone whom you love and who loves you. Our passage for today is about the blessing of living in God's presence, in the presence of someone who loves you far more than you could ever know and who desires for you to love him in return. We all want a life filled with joy, but the problem is that our hearts are so quick to turn to other things away from God. I know that's true of me. What about for you? See, we think it's about finding the best food, but it's really about with whom you share the meal. And the psalm reminds us that true joy is found in the presence of God. This entire psalm is this long crescendo. Each section builds on the last as David recounts the many blessings of living in God's presence. This song continues to rise until we reach this joyful, blasting melody of praise at the end. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That last verse is the main point of the psalm and the main point of what I have to say today. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. But it begins with the simple, understated notes of the first two verses as David confesses that he has chosen to live a life in the presence of God. 
Look at verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Notice what David doesn't say. He doesn't say that he has a God-shaped hole in his heart that he needs him to fill. It's not that we have all the basics and just need God to make up for what we lack. No, David says, I have nothing apart from you. And this is very different from the mindset which we can be tempted to have, which says, what I have, I have because I earned it. I worked hard to go to that school or to afford that apartment. I worked hard to get to this point in my career, and and so I deserve that night out or that vacation. The biblical mindset is different. It says, all the good that I have, I have because God has given it to me. It's not that you didn't work hard to afford those new clothes. It's that even the ability to work hard and the opportunities that were afforded to you are gifts from God. When I was younger, I had a small company for teaching music lessons, and I named it Zakar Music. Zakar is the Hebrew word for to remember. And I named it Zakar Music because of this passage in Deuteronomy. This is uh, long before the Israelites entered the promised land, long before King David, and God warns his people about this exactly. Let me read for you uh, what he says. This is God warning his people. He says, when you enter the promised land, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember, Zakar, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to produce wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. See, even the ability to produce wealth is a gift from God. The biblical mindset is not the good that I have, I earned for myself. The biblical mindset is all the good that I have has been given to me by God out of His abundant goodness in promising to bless His people. The biblical mindset is I have no good apart from you. And therefore, I will make you my refuge. I will seek to live in your presence. I named my company Zachar Music because I wanted to always remember that it is the Lord who gives the power to produce wealth. Now, I did not get wealthy from that business. The Lord, I guess, did not choose to give me that power. But I can confidently say that up until this day, God has always provided for all of my needs and so much more. He's always provided enough food for me to eat, even if it was ramen. He's always provided a place for me to live, even as I traveled the world and moved all across the country. And He's blessed me with so much more. He's blessed me with delicious food and drink shared with good friends now with a caring wife and a fun-loving son, with leisurely walks through the park on a cool summer evening. He's blessed me with so many good things. And now take this one step further. Not only does God bless you with many good things in this life, He also forgives all your sins. 
redeems all your regrets, grows you to, make, grows you to look more like Him, comforts you when you're lonely, gives you peace when you feel overwhelmed, and assures you of life forever with Him. If that's true of you, then let this be your prayer. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And in the rest of the psalm, David describes some of these blessings, some of the good that we have from the Lord. And the first thing we see is the blessing of community. Take a look at verse 3. It says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. When you seek to live in God's presence, you join the body of all those who seek God. And one of the blessings of living in God's presence is the presence also of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you what, every week, I'm so blessed by all of you. Like recently, I had a conversation with someone who shared how they've struggled with same-sex attraction and their gender identity. And in the midst of such pain and difficulty, which I can only imagine, they've remained steadfast in their commitment to God, even when His word to them is not an easy one. And when I see those kinds of hard choices, when I see people and you all putting your trust in God like that, it's such an encouragement to my own faith. I think too of when I was younger and uh, I was living far away from my family and I was in a, a pretty bad bicycle accident. And I had to have surgery and uh, couldn't really move around for at least about a week after that. But a family from my church at the time took me in and cared for me. So they filled all my prescriptions, they uh, cooked all my meals, and they brought it all to me while I lie immobile on their couch. And it was such a blessing to have their help in a time of need. One of the ways that God desires to bless you is with the love and fellowship of other brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you've experienced that blessing of God. And I know it can be hard in a church of our size to develop those kinds of relationships. But don't give up. Join an interest group. Ask the person next to you if they like to grab coffee. God desires to bless you in this way. The next verse contrasts those who follow God with those who run after other gods. Look at verse 4. It says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Now, this is the opposite of verse 2. Instead of confessing, I have no good apart from you, they look outside of God for happiness. And as a result, instead of God multiplying His goodness towards them, their sorrow is multiplied. This language is meant to remind us of the fall of man in Genesis 3. Part of the curse for sin in Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve's sorrow was multiplied. That carries on to us today. We have no good apart from God. And as Adam and Eve were cast from His presence, their sorrow was multiplied. And for those who run after other gods, that sorrow, this says, only continues to multiply. I know that's true in my life. 
for me, a big one is the God of the approval of others. And when I run after that God, it only ever multiplies my anxiety. What is it for you? Maybe it's the God of success. But living in that God's presence only ever leaves you feeling like an imposter or maybe even leaves behind a trail of broken relationships sacrificed on the altar of success as you put your work above your friends and family. Or maybe you buy new clothes or chase after new experiences, but that initial high quickly fades to emptiness. We all want a life filled with joy, but the problem is that our sinful hearts look in all the wrong places. The psalm reminds us that we must daily reorient our hearts back to the one in whose presence true joy is found. We must, empowered by God's Spirit within us, choose to say, like it says here, I will not take the names of those other gods on my lips. I will seek to live in the presence of the Lord. And when you do that, when that's what you strive for, then rather than your sorrow multiplying, God will multiply His blessing towards you. Rather than the curse of being cast from His presence, you experience the blessing of restored life with Him. And that's what the next section is about, verses 5 and 6. The language in these two verses alludes to the allotment of the promised land to the tribes of Israel. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, He cast them from the garden, away from His presence. But as God brought his people into the promised land, it was the beginning of reversing that curse. It was God coming again to dwell with his people, to bless them rather than to curse. Now, in order to understand this section, you need to know what God promised the tribe of Levi. When God brought his people into the promised land, he gave every tribe an allotment of the land, except for the tribe of Levi. And to them, he said, in Numbers 18, I'll read it for us, and listen to the similarity of of verse 5. This is what he said to the Levites. You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. And then here's the crucial part. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, the Lord himself was their inheritance. Now, what does that mean? It's explained a couple of verses later. It says, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. So the Lord is their inheritance meant that instead of providing for the Levites by giving them land to farm like he did for all the rest of the tribes, he provided for them by giving them the tithe of the rest of the tribes. So to the Levites, God gave the fruit, the animals, the oil, and the wine that the rest of the tribes brought to the Lord as a tithe. This is still how God provides for pastors today, too, out of the tithe of the rest of God's people. And so here's the principle. What belonged to the Lord, the tithe, He gave to the Levites. The Lord was, his, was their portion. What belonged to Him, He gave to them. And this psalm now generalizes that principle. 
It says that just as the, the Lord was the Levite's inheritance, just as what belonged to the Lord he gave to them, so God provides to all of his people out of what belongs to him. So out of the abundance of all that he is and all that he has, God provides for you. And David knew that this went well beyond the promised land. David wrote this psalm living in that promised land and even while bringing Israel to new heights as a nation. But he knew that this was so much more than anything earthly. He knew that God himself was our inheritance. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're at work tomorrow, uh, say you're, you're in the office, and you receive this hand-delivered parcel. And you open it up, and it's this really formal letter, and it says that you have unexpectedly inherited a billion dollars. That's one zero 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 dot zero zero dollars. What would you be thinking? How would you feel? I'd be thinking it must be a scam. But if it really were true, I'm not sure what I would do. I'm not sure that I can really comprehend that amount of money. But it would definitely change my perspective on life. I certainly wouldn't spend any time comparing prices on a tube of toothpaste to make sure I got the best deal like I did last week, though I did get the best deal. And I wouldn't worry about saving enough for David Jr.'s college or for retirement. I would trust, I could know that we would be provided for. And how much greater is our inheritance in the Lord? How much more unbelievable how much more incomprehensible. How amazed should we be when we consider what Ephesians 1 tells us, that in love God predestined us to adoption, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, and in him we have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance belonging to Jesus Christ, God's own son, is given to you by your adoption into God's family. Forget a billion dollars. How much does that perspective change, or how much does that inheritance change your perspective on life? How much peace does it give you when you know that God sees you and will provide for all of your needs? How much does it still your heart to know that God delights to bless you that's his beloved son or daughter. In the midst of doubt or uncertainty, how much reassurance does it bring you to know the future that you have with him? How much joy and awe does it bring you when you consider being in his presence, blanketed in his love and glory for all eternity? And how much does it cause you to overflow with praise that you want, as you wonder at why God has chosen you? And that's what David does in the next verse. He blesses the Lord. And he continues to recount the blessings of living in God's presence, now reflecting on the blessing of God's counsel. Take a look at verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. 
In the night also, my heart instructs me. I remember when I first felt God's call for me to be a pastor. Uh, at the time, I was in uh, college as a music, uh, classical guitar performance major. And at the end of my first year, I felt surprisingly unfulfilled. And as I prayed about it and talked about it with others, I came to see that uh, one of the things I really missed was serving more in the church. And over the course of that summer, God gave me counsel. He came to show me that He was leading me to change my trajectory from classical guitarist to a pastor. And it took some time, but in the following years, He gradually grew my confidence in that decision and also my peace in following His counsel. And when I look back on those years, I can't help but bless the Lord who gave me counsel. I sought him and he answered. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. Maybe you felt, experienced this kind of heart searching in the night that David describes as you've sought God's will for a relationship or for how to have a difficult conversation. Maybe you sought God's wisdom for your career or for where to live. As the Lord gives you counsel, whether through Scripture or through conversations with others or by directing your steps, bless Him for that. Even right now, if the Lord is reminding you of a time when He gave you wisdom, in your heart right now say, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In this section, David also blesses God for the strength that he gives him. Look at verse 8. It says, I have sought or I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The imagery of God's right hand is often used for God's activity in battle. It's likely at least part of what David has in mind here. He's recalling the times that God was with him in battle to bring him victory over his enemies. And the same God who was with David when there were men seeking to take his life is with you when the economy takes a hit or a co-worker is out to get you. The same God who was with the humble shepherd David to defeat Goliath is with you when you feel inadequate at home or at work. The same God who was with David when his life was in danger is with you when your marriage is on the rocks. Cry out to him in the night, for he is with you fighting on your behalf. Because he is at your right hand, you will not be shaken. In the last three verses, this psalm rises to its climax. Not only does God bless you with the community of other brothers and sisters in Christ, not only does He bless you with an unbelievable, incomprehensible inheritance, not only does He bless you with uh, wisdom and strength, He blesses you even in death. Take a look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that is, the realm of the dead, 
or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. About a month ago, a friend of mine from Philadelphia called and said uh, that one of our friends, Doug Baker, uh, unexpectedly died uh, and uh, just 54 years old, leaving behind his wife and two kids. Uh, a couple weeks ago was also the anniversary of the death of two of my grandparents. And as I reflect on those deaths, uh, it's sad to me. But as I mourn, I do so with great hope. For I know that those who have made the Lord their God, He has not abandoned to Sheol, but has brought them safely into His presence. My dad, on the anniversary of his mom's death, so my grandmother, he said this. He said, I'm very comfortable that it was their time and they were ready. He said, I hope to see them again someday. You and I can have wonderful joy in God's presence today. But as great as it is, we're still refugees living in exile. It's just a taste of the joy that my grandfather is right now experiencing. As he is with, at home with the Lord. His pain in old age has turned to pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. And that same future awaits you too if you trust in God. Because of what this psalm promises, you can stare death in the face and declare with the Apostle Paul, for me, to die is far better. For it means that I will be with Christ. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But none of these blessings, none of these blessings of community and inheritance, strength, counsel, life and death, none of these are things that we deserve. They're not a good that we have earned apart from God. On our own, we, we don't confess that I have no good apart from God. We run after other gods, and we take the names of success, sensuality, and materialism upon our lips. And for that, we deserve for our sorrow to multiply. We don't deserve a beautiful inheritance. We deserve for our souls to be abandoned to Sheol. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, if you trust in him, all of the blessings of this psalm are yours. When Peter preached on Pentecost, he told us that the final verses of this psalm are ultimately a prophecy about Jesus. 
Because in the end, David did experience death and his body corruption. But Jesus was not abandoned to Sheol, nor did his flesh see corruption. But he was raised from the dead on the third day. God raised Jesus up from the dead because as the faithful son of God, Peter said, it was not possible for him to be held by death. Jesus is the faithful son of God who did not run after other gods. He did not take their names upon his lips, but took our sorrows upon himself that he might earn what Peter calls elsewhere an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus was shaken that you, through all the storms of this life, might dwell with him secure. Jesus tasted death that you might live forever at his right hand. And Jesus is the one who fully delights in the saints. He so delights in you that he gave his life, that the inheritance that he earned by right, he might share with you. And more than that, he has given us his spirit as the guarantee or as the down payment of that inheritance. Being exalted at the right hand of God, Jesus poured out his spirit upon the church of Pentecost. And Christ's spirit is God's presence in you, the key to fullness of joy. A meal, that meal I had a few weeks ago was so much sweeter for having shared it with my lovely wife. A life lived in the presence of God is so much sweeter. For at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promises to us in this psalm that you bless us with community, with a beautiful inheritance, with counsel and strength, and that even death cannot keep us from your presence, and that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And thank you for your spirit who is your presence in us as we await the day when we will see you face to face. Strengthen us by your Spirit to live for you, filled with joy and hope. And do this for the sake of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.